0: We acknowledge and are mindful that CSU Chico stands on lands that were originally occupied by the first people of this area, the Machupta, and we recognize their distinctive spiritual relationship with this land and the waters that run through campus. We are humbled that our campus resides upon sacred lands that once sustained the Machupta people for centuries.
1: Welcome to the Rise, Teach, Learn podcast. I am Dr. Chiara Ferrari, Director of Faculty Development at Chico State, and we are happy to make this resource available to our campus community and beyond. The podcast is hosted by Dr. Jamie Lynn Gunderson, and she will engage in timely conversations with faculty, staff, and students, and give you a taste of the Chico experience. Subscribe to our podcast and explore the many resources available on our website. Thank you for listening.
0: Hello. And welcome to Rise, Teach, Learn. I'm your host, Jamie Gunderson. In our fourth episode entitled Student Engagement Challenge, we discuss the impacts of engagement on learning and teaching and explore practices and resources that can enhance interaction and foster connection and community in digital learning environments. Okay, so I am here with a whole slew of folks today, Uh, we have our faculty fellows, which I'm just going to take a moment to allow them to go around and introduce
2: themselves. Hi, I'm Paul Bailey. I am a lecturer in the math department in the School of Education.
3: Hi, I'm Dustin Backey. I am a lecturer in kinesiology.
4: I am Chris Cruz. I'm a lecturer in comparative religion and humanities.
0: And with us today we have a student who's also going to give us her perspective on the student engagement challenge. Hi I'm Jessica and I am currently a credential graduate student in the
5: class program at Chico State and I'm super excited to be here.
0: And none of this would be possible without our fearless leader the Director of the Office of Faculty Development Dr. Chiara
1: Ferrari. Thank you Jamie and thank you everyone for for joining us today for this episode. Uh, My name is Chiara Ferrari and uh, Uh, I am normally a professor in media arts design and technology, but I started in July as director of faculty development, and I cannot think of a a better time and maybe more challenging, but better time to be supporting faculty than, than this time.
0: Totally agree, and that serves really well to kick off our conversation on student engagement. So first, Kiara, I want you to kind of just share a little bit about some of the resources that you have led our team to create in light of these challenges and in light of these virtual contexts.
1: Now, given the pandemic, given that we are all virtual, my priority was to really create uh, different resources that faculty faculty and staff and, and students, these are not just resources for, for faculty, of course, they're primarily designed for faculty, but resources that people could access in different ways. So be it a podcast, be it more like uh, uh, teaching guides that can offer ideas for applications. We also have a zine that, Kind of provides a little bit more of an informal um, set of resources and stories. And so, in and, and thanks to all of you, we have been able to produce these resources really following the practices and principles of unis- universal design for learning. So I'm excited that we can offer teaching guides and the reason why I'm particularly excited about the teaching guides, is because we have been able to pair them with the podcast. So whenever we release a podcast, we also pair resources that faculty can apply into their classes. We offer research, we offer ideas for application, and then we offer podcast videos, a, a website to explore. So again, a whole gamut of resources that faculty can choose um, from. So I'm excited that um, even this podcast will be paired with some additional teaching guides.
0: We've had a lot of fun creating those different resources and exploring different ways to get out information to faculty just to support teaching and learning on campus. Um, But one of the most creative things, and I always love a challenge or a mission, if you will, was this idea of a student engagement challenge
1: One thing that I was very excited about um, to work with the faculty fellow was to propose a student engagement challenge. And I know that Dustin had some experience. He had done um, some of these challenges in his own classroom, had seen some examples. And the part that really interested me is that one of the biggest struggle that faculty are having or one of the biggest struggle that faculty are sharing about about their students struggling is precisely student engagement. I would say that if I were to choose the number one concern that keeps on coming up in conversations with faculty is we're having a really hard time keeping the students engaged. So through this challenge, we wanted to give faculty some ideas on how to keep the students engaged. However, I also realized that oftentimes student engagement might mean an increased workload for faculty. And so I wanted, I I was very pleased and very grateful to Dustin for creating challenges that were really plug and play, that had prompts, that had um, sample, uh, ideas for activities, sample surveys that faculty didn't have to spend a lot of time uh, creating. So I, I I really appreciated the attention that we had towards on the one hand, increasing student engagement while on the other, not increasing faculty workload.
3: I kind of started thinking about this back um, actually last semester. So in the fall, as we were talking to people, I mean, spring was wild with the transition. So it was kind of like the wild west and who knows what was going on and were things going to be different in the fall. And just the thing that I heard most was engagement. How do we keep students engaged when they're online? Because they have the world at their fingertips, right? Um, Normally they have it on their phone, but now that they're right next to the screen while on Zoom or doing these digital activities, how do we keep them engaged? And one of the great books that I was reading during the time was 99 Tips for Creating Simple and Sustainable Educational Videos. It's kind of a mouthful by Karen Costa, but it's a great pickup um, if any of you are looking for something like that. But she mentioned this research um, out of Purdue and it it was this, Um, index of 32,000 students that really looked into what went into a positive sense of well-being and engagement within a classroom and a workspace. And they kind of came up with three pillars that I really resonated with when I started thinking about my undergraduate experience and even graduate experience and the classes that I became invested in, got excited about, and the ones that I was likely to skip for Guitar Hero in my dorm room, right? Um, So the three pillars that they came up with were that the instructors need to care about their students first as people first. And so that is the most important foundational pillar right there. And then it's about making students excited about learning. That's the second pillar. And the third pillar is encouraging them to pursue their own goals. So if we could kind of build a foundation around these three pillars, we're going to encourage engagement. And so I started thinking about like, how would this work and look like on a like smaller, granular, easy to implement level. So I came up with these four tasks and the first two, I definitely dedicated to that first one of a sense of being cared about as the person first. And so the ones that we did is the first one was the power of the name, right? And that's the first, and most important one, just, I asked educators and faculty to really start using their students' names as granularly as possible. So Jamie, thank you for contributing. Paul, it's nice to see you. Like literally every one of my students who turns on their camera, I'm like, it's nice to see you this morning, Jessica. It's nice to see you, Nathan, like, and I say hi and respond using names in the chat. And what it does is like, students feel seen and they want to be a part of it and makes them feel like they're part of this community. And so when they feel seen, they participate. Uh, The second one was kind of going a little bit deeper with some sort of personal check-in. So again, letting students know you care about them as a person. And so I encouraged a two word check-in because it's fast and easy, right? You can just say in two words, let me know how you're feeling. Um, And one of the things that I really encouraged here was, anonymous. And when we are talking safety type things and things that don't feel safe and risky, like sharing, dang, I feel crappy today, or today's been really hard, or, you know, whatever vulnerable things that are going on, sometimes anonymity can help with that and that honesty and really getting expressing. And it doesn't mean that They don't feel seen or can't be heard. It's you acknowledge it. You still say like, hey, I see a couple of you are really having a hard day or a hard week. And you can even take action on that. You can be like, hey, let's extend this assignment by a couple of days, you know, based on what it needs. I remember in the fall when I was kind of running through this for the first time with my students, I did this and I found out my students were just beat down. So I changed the homework to a self-care assignment. And we were studying epidemiology, so mental health and healthcare, like that is part of it. So I was able to tie it to the content, but that assignment showed up in my sets. They're like the best assignment of the year, or this entire semester was this self-care homework assignment that you gave us. So you could really make a difference by finding out where they're at with these kind of things. Week three was really focused on the second pillar where we tried to get students to get excited about their learning and this is one that I really like Um, it comes from the one and only flower Darby and I kind of put a little spin on it and I love it because this really incorporates UDL as well which is universal design for learning and letting students approach learning in the way that kind of fits them and their um, interests and this is where they kind of do a personal connection scavenger hunt and so you asked students to do a couple of different things, either find two current resources and you kind of leave it big and broad, let them go out there and like find something. And that's part of the challenge is what actually out there in the world connects to class, right? They have to understand the content to understand if it connects or not, or find an expert and reach out to them or create a portfolio of their work. And then week four was really about kind of finishing strong and encouraging students to, pursue their own goals. And this is where we ask students to apply some of the content that they've learned to their own goals. And so again, it's kind of looking like, how can I relate this to what I want to do, even in a class that doesn't feel relevant to them in their future and their careers. And so that was kind of a wrap up overview of the challenge and kind of why we did some of the things that we did.
0: That's awesome. Dustin, thank you so much. And again, this was all aligned to research what we know about learners. I want to open it up to the other fellows, Paul Bailey and Chris Cruz to kind of talk about what this challenge might look like in their classroom. I know for me, um, one of the things I really tried to focus on was the granular naming. Like every time I responded to a question or something in the chat, I really tried to use student names. And so um, that was something that, you know, maybe seems so small, but so easy to do and and has so much impact. So Paul, Chris, are there any particular pieces of the challenge that you implemented and what did that look like in your classroom?
2: You know, some of these things I do some variation of already in practice, but I kind of latched on immediately to the name challenge. Um, And it was also as nice as a self reflective practice right like I could realize, like how normal does this feel to me so like I realized, like how much am I already doing this and then where am I not like because you you tell just feels different when it's something that's unfamiliar right versus something that's familiar. Um, But also, the reason why this jumped out at me first is because I, I feel that it also has some strong connection to you know when we're talking about culturally responsive teaching practices as well. While we didn't get to quite that depth in what we sent out with the emails, this is very, you know, immediately connected to that idea. And so even just thinking about, like, when we take the time to make sure we learn how to say names and how to communicate and and offer appropriate respect to students, you know, identities, just like our name is a very big part of our identity, right? And so um, one of the things I go back to a lot is like that first day of school, Class, right? Where you're going through roles just to see who's there, who needs to add, what everyone's names are. I use that as a strategy to start trying to learn names. I also know I'm really bad at names. So, like, I extra focus on it to help get things to stick. And, uh, but every single semester, every single class, I have at least one student where I say their name and I go, Is that right? And they go, That's fine. And I go, No, no, how do you say it? Right? Like, because we have to make that clear because historically in our education system, that's not usually how. The power dynamic works, right? It's I'm going to say it how I say it, as like as the instructor, and and um, I, I think it's important that we're able to flip that so that we're giving power back to the students and we're acknowledging this important part of identity, so that we can recognize too how to acknowledge the other important parts of identity.
3: Paul, I love that you brought that up. I feel this is really relevant right now with what has happened in Atlanta with uh, these kind of Asian hate crimes that happened and the media coverage in their inability to correctly pronounce these
2: Mm -hmm. victims'
3: names and just kind of the outrage that that has caused and reinforcement of the fact that there is major work to be done in this area. And like Paul said, this culturally culturally responsive teaching, it is important that we get those things right. And I experienced the same thing. First day of school, uh, you could call me whatever. I'm like, no, it's your name. What do you want to be called? Right. And, you know, it's important to call people what they want to be called.
2: Yeah. It's a funny language thing, but this reminds me a lot of like being bilingual and living in kind of two worlds linguistically. Um, I think a lot about the fact that in Spanish we say me llamo, not mi nombre es, and to me that's that's meaningful on kind of a deep level because it's like well yeah like we have names and we have all these different names, but it's very like direct, this is what I call myself and the implication is that's what I expect you to call me as well, and so I like how specific that is in in my other language.
0: I feel like this is a good time to get a little perspective from the student side Um, so JESSICA obviously the challenge wasn't something we blasted out to students so faculty were just engaging in these behaviors. um, As kind of more of a reflection and implementation practice, but from the student perspective, you know, specifically with just saying names, can you tell me what your observations were. The
5: naming thing I think is something so little but means so much and i've noticed that. Jamie, in your class, you you really did. You you went and you have been calling us by name and mentioning us in the chat by name. And it means a lot to just feel seen and recognized, like you were all saying. Um and I think it's something that faculty has been doing. So props to you all for pushing that talent because I've seen it. And even when I'm using um remind or different platforms to reach out to my to my professors, it's it feels more personal to just be like, hi Jamie on Pronto or whoever it is, and they respond with a hi, Jessica, how are you?
0: All right. So we talked a lot about how important it is to use a student's name. And I want to kind of get into those last few tasks that align to those pillars and talk about this idea of the check-in. And So Dustin, your email was really neat in offering a couple different options, an entry ticket and a two-word option for checking in with students. Um, And I know that this looks different in pretty much any classroom. Uh, For me, I use a lot of interactive slides. Sometimes I just open it up to allow students to kind of chat and unmute and share their um, opinions. But Paul and Chris, I want to kind of bring it back to you in terms of checking in on your students what types of strategies are you using in your classroom and what seems to be most effective
2: so one of the things i learned from last semester this semester is that trying to find ways to fit our old traditional strategies into this new was too much of this round you know peg square hole scenario and i it just wasn't working for me and so i decided to re Completely redo all of my um, classroom policies in order to be way more flexible. And the problem, the challenge with that has been that with the additional flexibility, it gives them more space to feel safe in meeting the learning objectives essentially on their own terms. But it's harder sometimes to get to keep some of the folks that might slip through the craps, cracks from slipping through the cracks. And so uh, what I've been doing and this is a thing that works for me personally but as I've been going through and keeping track of like submitting assignments and doing all that and whatever um, feedback I'm getting from the students and for the students and then making a point of explicitly emailing students individually about whatever specific needs or successes they're having in the classroom and I've found even over the semesters that when you do that I think students see it infrequently enough that even just that little thing, they're like, oh, awesome, thank you for reaching out to me. And the other thing is too is the, the folks that haven't developed some of the same social capital or navigational capital that some of our more um, privileged students have developed they don't know they can do certain things So, like when I say hey you missed this assignment but we have flexible deadlines like can you get this to me as soon as possible or let me know if you need some support in getting it dealt with all of a sudden they say oh my goodness I didn't know I had other options I thought like I didn't do it and now I have a zero and I'm going to fail the class and the you know semester's over um so like just that helps the students that we frequently miss anyway we can
4: just echo something that Paul was saying there because I think it's really important You know, so throughout 2020, um, as we were sliding into the pandemic, um, I was teaching a class called the end of the world in religious studies. And this is an asynchronous class, so it posed some sort of different challenges and none of us knew as we were, you know, starting in January that we would be entering a global pandemic. um, And the end of the world being very relevant, but one of the things that I've done in my classes and it, I think it really showed in that period was, you know, about week. Three or so to do a check-in, you know, very much along the lines of what Dustin provided for us. See how people are doing, you know, with the class, mentally, physically, emotionally, and then to do that again at about you know week maybe eight or week nine, and to use those as a way not just to see how the students are doing, but as a way for us as faculty to figure out how do we need to change our classes, and particularly in that spring of 2020, you know, I ended up changing the last couple of weeks of class just in response to students saying there's too much going on, I'm overwhelmed, I've lost my job or my jobs, you know, family health issues. And if we're if we've designed our classes in such a strict way that we don't have the flexibility to change, that's one problem, but if we don't take the time to check in with our students to find out what they need in the first place so that we can then be responsive, that's a different challenge, right? So I think being able to do these kind of check-ins become not just important for us as faculty, but if our goal at the end of the day is to have students learn something that's relevant to them and meaningful in how they participate, we have to have that kind of flexibility to respond to student feedback. And I think that's true, you know, whether we're in a pandemic or not, I think that's just basic good teaching pedagogy across, you know, any level of education. And the other thing I wanted to sort of put out there is, I think and Paul and Dustin both touched on this, the the challenge really I think for us as educators is are we designing a class that works for our needs or are we designing a class that works for student needs? And if it's for student needs, you know, asking about names, asking about how people are doing, those are things that are very much student-centered, but we have to have that kind of information to be able to respond. And so I think that's super important and i think that's one of the values of this challenge you know at least the number two of these challenges in particular but also number one with the names is forcing us to really think about how do we put the students at the center of these conversations in our learning how do we revise classes to meet student needs and how do we create that flexibility because i can't tell you how many students i had that you know wrote to me and said you know thanks for checking in you know, to incorporate this into a pedagogical practice, I think, is super, super important, you know, for everyone, regardless of what level of teaching we're doing.
0: I have to tell you, in doing these podcasts and doing the work that we're doing together as faculty fellows, I feel like the theme um, in the data in the research and what we know is happening at CSU Chico is the students want this connection. They wanna be seen, they wanna be heard, they wanna have access, they wanna have conversations. They are, and faculty too, are really craving this community, this connection, especially in these virtual times.
5: I just love hearing you all talk about this. It makes me so excited as a student, just to know that, you know, professors, I can't tell you as like how much it like means to hear other professors on campus, you know, care. I feel more encouraged as a student to speak out and to ask questions and to be engaged with my screen when I know my professor um, has a little bit of uh, investment into me. They, they care about me a little, um, even just a little bit, not a lot. I think the big thing, just touching on like what you know, Paul was saying and Chris and even Jamie, Um, The transparency of this all I think is really important. As a student, if I know that my professors are willing to be flexible, and my professors are okay with having, um, you know, changing an assignment from this due date to this due date, takes so much pressure off and it makes me as a student feel so much more encouraged to get my work done because my professor cares about me enough to change a due date or to um, change the assignment so that it works for the entirety of the class, Um, that makes me more engaged when I'm sitting on camera. And I know that it's hard. I really think that we should remember that there has been progress and things are getting um, easier on Zoom. And I think that um, when I talk to my peers, we are figuring it out. And I think that it's really helpful that our faculty is trying. And knowing that our faculty is trying, I can't wait to share with my friends that like I just talked on a Zoom meeting with four different professors who are all caring about their students. Because I think that sometimes we feel like we're floating
0: on an island over in different parts of Chico. And there you have it, folks. Today we discussed the impacts of engagement on learning and teaching and we explored practices and resources that can enhance interaction and foster connection and community in digital learning environments. For more information on student engagement, including research, practices, and resources, check out our FDEV teaching guides entitled Student Agency, Culturally Responsive Teaching, Establishing Positive Learning Environments, and Enhancing Student Engagement and Increasing Student Interaction. I'd like to thank Drs. Ferrari, Backey, Cruz, and Bailey, as well as Jessica Gorman for contributing to this episode. I'd also like to extend a special thank you to Quinn Winchell for our podcast music and to the vocal stylings of Dr. Browning Nadeau for the land acknowledgement. Join us for our next episode, wherein we will learn more about Universal Design for Learning with Dr. Louis Lord Nelson. Until then, we got this, Wildcats.